Brothers and sisters, would you grab hold of the Bible, and would you turn in that Bible to the book of Acts? Our sermon text this morning is Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25, and we're going to read through verse 34. Acts 25 through verse 34. And so we are in a mini-series for the month of December leading up for Christmas, and it's centered on 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's precious news. Christ came to save sinners. We sang the truth this morning, and we get to meditate on the truth now. And so we've been working through individual salvation stories. We, we started with the Apostle Paul. In Acts 9, last week we went to the book of Isaiah and looked at the story of of Hezekiah. And now this morning we're going to look at the salvation of a jailer in the city of Philippi. So would you focus your attention now on God's word. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Well, Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your words. Amen. Meditating on this story this week, I've been reminded that it's often the most simple of sayings that prove to be the most powerful. It's the most simple of sayings that prove to be the most powerful. And as I was meditating on that, I was reminded of my own life. And so I was thinking as I was in my study, looking around at my study, I've got bookshelves and there's books piled everywhere. And there's big books everywhere full of big words and big arguments. And I was thinking that well, all these books are exceptionally valuable to me and I wouldn't want to part with any of them. And they're good for study. And when push comes to shove, none of those big books with big words and big arguments have changed my life like the simple sayings of the gospel. Just a few examples. Now, one of the big books in my study have changed me like the sermon I heard my senior year in high school on the holiness of God. I remember the room I was in. It was a small room, and there was not very many of us, eight or nine of us. And the doctrine of God's holiness struck me, and I was awakened to God's holiness and my sinfulness. 
I changed the course of my life. Or, not one of those complicated arguments changed my life like that sermon I heard on the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 when I was 19 years old. I can remember where I was sitting. I was downtown campus of Bethlehem Baptist. I was on the very left side of the sanctuary next to a pillar. And it was like someone came into the room and they flipped the light switch on and I got this clarity. I learned in a moment my great need in life wasn't health or security or comfort or prosperity or success. It's this. It's seeing the Son of God in his glory and his beauty. Most important thing. Not one of those big words have refreshed me like the time between classes in seminary, the time when you could, after a couple hours of sitting and listening to a lecture, you could get up and stretch your legs and go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. A few of us were still in the room, and the professor was talking to us, and he was talking about this book, but out of the book, the conversation arose about the Father's love for his people. And in the midst of the conversation, he just stopped and he looked at us and he said, do you know this? The Father loves you and no one had to persuade him to love you. The love came from his own heart. And in that moment, my heart was refreshed. And as I think about that moment, my heart is still refreshed to this very day. And and so it's often the most simple sayings that turn out to be the most powerful These simple sayings are like arrows in the quiver of God. Their shaft is straight and true and their tip is pointed and razor sharp. And what the Lord does is he he puts them in his bow and he, he shoots them with accuracy. And when he hits the human heart, everything changes. When he hits the heart with one of those gospel sayings, everything changes immediately. Despair is turned into encouragement. Aimlessness is turned into passion. Hopelessness is turned into joy. Anxiety and insecurity are turned into confidence. God does remarkable things with very simple words. That's what gospel ministry is all about. And so this morning, we get to look at two very simple words. In Acts chapter 16, the whole story is framed around two simple sayings. We find the first in verse 30. The jailer, full of anxiety and fear, turns to Paul and Silas and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul and Silas, hearing this this question, full of anxiety and fear, say to this man, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In both of these simple sayings, we can be sure are directly from the quiver of God. They are both sharp and true, and both of them, we must believe this morning, have the power to change us in a moment. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to devote our attention to these two simple sayings. We're going to start first with, with verse 30, the question of the jailer, what must I do to be saved? And then we're going to move to the second question, Paul and Silas's response to this man, believe in the Lord Jesus. So verse 30, let's start here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, the first thing that we need to notice and observe about this saying is that it is not a normal question. Just do a catalog of your last week and think about the questions you asked or that were asked of you. Where are the keys? 
Where's my wallet? Did you pay that bill? Did you read that email? Where did you, you put that? Why did you do that? Why is that in your hair? We ask all sorts of questions. That's what we do as humans. We're question askers. But the question we see in verse 30 from this jailer is a different sort of question. It's a question born from anxiety. It's a question born from trouble. This man, this jailer, believed that his life was in imminent danger. He was convinced that there was a threat coming at him. And because of that threat, he was about to be overtaken in some sort of judgment or destruction. So we can only understand this question of the jailers if we understand the threat and trouble that this man saw coming his way. And we can only understand this threat and trouble if we we understand the circumstances that brought this man to say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So looking at the story, this jailer took into his custody both Paul and Silas. And these two men, Paul and Silas, were unusual prisoners for five reasons. First of all, these two men were foreigners. They were both Jews, and they were both a long ways away from home. Second reason, Paul and Silas had come to Philippi to proclaim the name of Jesus, the Messiah of God, his death, his resurrection, his lordship over all things. Third, these two men were no common criminals. They had thrown the whole city of Philippi into an uproar. They were seen as a threat to the laws and practices of Rome. Look at verse 21. And because of that, they received no ordinary treatment from the city officials. They came to the jailer having been stripped down, beaten with rods, and publicly shamed before great numbers of people. And fourth, these two men, foreigners, proclaiming the name of Jesus, beaten, conducted themselves in a very strange sort of way. In the prison, their faces weren't full of gloom. Their hearts weren't full of of bitterness. Their mouths didn't spew curses. Rather, they spent their time in prison. Verse 25 says this, praying and singing hymns to God. So just take in those four unusual observations about these two men. Here are two Jews a long way from home, proclaiming the strange and unknown name of Jesus in the city of Philippi. That's weird. Here are two men beaten, mocked, shamed, surely hurting, but yet who sing and pray into the wee hours of the night. And if you were the jailer, I'm sure you would have been paying attention, saying in your heart, these are strange men. But these four observations pale in comparison to what happens next, the fifth one. Let's read verses 26 through 28. The text says, Suddenly there was a a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Paul and Silas defy common sense. The earthquake shakes the prison. The doors are all thrown open. The bonds, each and every single one, are are broken free from their, their legs and their hands. Everything, absolutely everything, was lined up perfectly for their escape. No plan could be more perfect than this. The light couldn't be any more green. It says, get going, get out of here. All they had to do was walk out or run out, and they would be free. 
But here's the thing. As we look at the story, they don't do it. Set free from their bonds with the doors open, they stay put in their cell. And it seems that they likely persuaded the other prisoners who were with them to do the very same thing. And we ask, why? Well, they were there for salvation, not their own. They desired this man's life. Paul cries out to the jailer saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And now we're ready to understand what the jailer is talking about. Verses 29 and 30. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so we ask here, what is driving this man's fear? Why is he trembling? Why does he need salvation? Why is he on the ground before these men saying, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What is the danger coming at him? Well, let's just put the pieces together. It should become plain to us when we do this. Who were Paul and Silas? They were messengers of a God a God that they have never heard of. And these two messengers came to his city proclaiming who? The Messiah of God and what this Messiah had done. He had died and he had rose again and now he is seated on his throne reigning and ruling over all the nations. And what were these strange men doing in prison? Well, they were praying to their God. That's what they spent their whole time doing, praying and praying and praying. And I am certain that their prayer certainly mentioned Deliverance from the prison. Lord, won't you free us? And maybe, maybe prayers about deliverance from the sticky situation in Philippi. Lord, won't you give us favor here so that we can continue our mission and continue to spread the word about Jesus? And not only were they praying, but they were singing, singing to God. And I'm sure some of those songs were, were psalms directly from the Old Testament. And if you know some of those psalms from the Old Testament, those psalms are rich. They talk about God's power to save, his faithfulness to his people, his deeds of righteousness and judgment. Perhaps they were singing a psalm about the Exodus story, about how God came and drew near and, and delivered Israel out of, the, out of Egypt and crushed Pharaoh and his whole host of, of, of warriors and chariots. And so what happened? After all of this, a mighty earthquake happened, an act of God happened, an earthquake that just so happened to open up every door in the prison and freed all of the prisoners. And so what is this man thinking in this moment? Well, this man is not stupid. He's not an idiot. In a moment, all the puzzle pieces come together. Paul and Silas, they are the messengers of God. And the God that they pray to and sing to, he really does exist. He saves, he is faithful, he judges. This God is on the move here in my prison. And in that moment, if you can just try to fathom it, the jailer's thoughts must have been so bitter. So bitter. Maybe something like this was going through his mind. I am guilty. I'm guilty of opposing the messengers of God, Paul and Silas, I am guilty of opposing the Messiah of God who died and rose again and who reigns over all places and peoples. Even more, I am guilty for opposing this very God. And what I think happened here is in a moment, this man saw himself for who he truly was. 
a moment of spiritual clarity. I am an enemy of God. And that's why he trembled with fear. And that's why he fell down before Paul and Silas. And that's why he sensed his danger. And that's why he cried, sirs, what must I do to be saved? But as we think about this story, there must have been something else going on in this man's mind. There's despair, there's these bitter thoughts, there's guilt. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. But there has to have been a measure of hope in his heart. For why else would he have asked in that moment, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There must have been something prompting hope in the midst of all of these circumstances as the knowledge of his, his, his own trouble came upon him. It had something to do with Paul and Silas. They were kind to him regarding his life. And the thought must have came through after Paul spoke to him, don't kill yourself. These men must have something for me. These men must have something for me. They're strange, but they have something for me. And as we look at the story, they did have something for this man. And here's our second simple saying. Verse 31, Paul and Silas respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Such a simple saying. I want to make a few comments of this verse. First comment is this, take notice of the directness of their speech. Just think about all the amazing things that are going on. Think about it from Paul and Silas' perspective. Earlier in that day, they were thrown into this great commotion, beaten with rods, and then they're up all night singing and praying, and then an earthquake happens, and then you find this man at your feet asking this question. That's a lot going on. But the jailer's question didn't catch Paul or Silas off guard. There wasn't any hemming or hawing. They didn't have to search for an answer. They didn't have to say, well, wait, I need to get back to you two hours from now. In a moment, they gave the exact prescription for this man, believe in the Lord Jesus. The remedy for this man was what? Faith in Christ. Second comment, take notice of the forcefulness of their speech. Paul and Silas don't offer the jailer options or advice. Rather, they spoke with this man forcefully, commanding this man to take action. The jailer must do what? He must, imperative, believe in Jesus. What does this mean? Well, it means this. The jailer must seek all help and all relief in Jesus alone. That's what faith means. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. It means you find all help, all relief in Christ alone. So what would that look like for the jailer? Well, who was the jailer? Well, he learned that he was an enemy of God. And so what must he do about that? Very simply, he must do this. He must go to Jesus about that. And what did the jailer do as an enemy of God? Well, he sinned against God. He opposed God's messengers. He opposed God's Christ. He opposed God himself. And so what what must the jailer do about that? Very simply, he must go to Jesus about that. And what did the jailer deserve? for being an enemy of God and opposing God and his Messiah and his messengers. Well, he deserved his own sword. He really did deserve to die. Even worse, he deserved the judgments of God upon his head forever. But what must he do about that even too? 
Well, again, he must go to, to Jesus about that. And third, take notice of the confidence of their speech. Paul and Silas speak to this man, but they don't offer him odds or chances. They don't say, believe on the Lord Jesus and the odds that you will be saved are are pretty good. I looked at my phone this morning and the Vegas odds are in your favor. The spread, it's good. Go that way. They don't hedge their language. They don't say, believe on the Lord Jesus and, and maybe, perhaps you'll be saved. Read the frightened print before you do this. No, look at the text. It's so simple. They preach a guarantee. Believe in Lord Jesus and you will guaranteed be saved. Such precious words. And we ask, well, how could these men, how could Paul and Silas be so confident to preach like that? To give such a guarantee to this man that they really didn't even know. Well, giving strength to their preaching was first of all the work of Christ. Paul and Silas had confidence to preach the gospel like this because they knew all of what Jesus had done. They knew the story of Jesus, that he was born of a virgin, that he had preached the gospel throughout Israel and done many mighty miracles. They knew that he was the Christ, and as the Christ, that he died on the cross for sinners. They knew that three days later, he rose again from the dead, conquering death and hell. They knew that he ascended to heaven 40 days after that to rule and reign over all things. In fact, Paul himself had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's aware of all of this. And so they preached a guarantee, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And giving even further strength was their acquaintance with Christ himself, his character, Both Paul and Silas had tasted of the heart of Jesus. They knew Christ's love. They knew his kindness. They received his comfort and compassion. They didn't read about it in a book. They had tasted it themselves. And because they had tasted of Jesus' love, because they had such a close dealing with Christ himself, they were convinced that all who go to Christ will find salvation, for they had found it themselves. And so they preached, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But there was more to their confidence than that. At bottom, drilling down to bedrock, their confidence was based upon what? The very words of Jesus himself. You have to understand, Paul and Silas weren't making this this preaching ministry up as they they went. They weren't charting these these dots on a a, a graph and, and making conjecture about what should we do next. No, what are Paul and Silas doing here in verse 31? They're just preaching what they heard from Jesus. Listen to the preaching of Jesus from John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. This is how Jesus preached the gospel. Jesus said, speaking about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Paul and Silas weren't making anything up. They were just preaching the words of Jesus. They understood this, that if someone goes to Christ seeking from him help and relief, 
they're going to get it. And Jesus' words graciously pound way at us. Jesus says, guarantee after guarantee after guarantee, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Guaranteed. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Guarantee. Whoever comes to me, I will never turn my back on them. I will never cast them out. They will never enter into judgment. Guaranteed. And the best of all, Everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul and Silas, in that moment, could preach with confidence, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Fourth, take notice of what these simple words produced. Such simple words. Words you can say, I can say, anytime. And the change is profound. Just look at the text. The one who opposed Paul and Silas now does what? He, he cares for Paul and Silas. Verse 33, he, he took them the same hour of the night and, and washed their wounds. The one who kept Paul and Silas in, in prison, watching them, now does what? He, he turns around and gives them hospitality. He welcomes them and keeps them where? In his own home feeding them with his own food. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and set food before them. And the enemy of God, the enemy of the Messiah, the enemy of the messengers of God does what? He willingly identifies with the Messiah and not just with his words, but in public performance, going down and getting baptized. Verse 33, he was baptized at once. And the one who is full of fear and trembling, fearing death, now rejoices along with all of those who call upon Jesus. Verse 34, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So there we have the two simple sayings. And by those two simple sayings, we learn how the Philippian jailer came to learn and trust in Jesus. Here's another salvation story. God saves sinners. And so the jailer was awakened to the danger he was in, and he cried out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then he received an answer immediately from Paul and Silas, saying, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So at this point, we've, we've studied both of these sayings. We, we know why they were said and, and what they mean. It should be clear to us at this point. Now I want to take it a step further ask a question. What did these sayings have to do with you this morning? We've got two simple gospel sayings. What do they have to do with you? And for these two simple gospel sayings, I have two truths for the sake of application. First truth is this. You're in danger. You're in danger. The sad reality is most don't know that they're in danger, but whether you are alert to danger or not, the truth remains the same. If you are outside of Jesus in your sins, you are in great danger. The Philippian jailer was in danger the whole time before the earthquake or after the earthquake. He just came to know about it during the earthquake. And we see in the story that it took an earthquake and the the extraordinary kindness of Paul and Silas for this jailer to wake up and to see that he was an enemy of God. And here is a piece of good news for you. The God that reigns and works in this world is a God 
who uses all sorts of means to wake up sinners. Sometimes our God wakes up sinners with nature itself. We know that everything is made by God. And because everything is made by God, everything testifies to God. And we are surrounded by sermons every day. They're being preached to us. Sun shining in the sky is a sermon. The snow falling to the ground is a sermon. The bitter cold that is coming at us this week is a sermon. They all preach this God exists and he rules and reigns over all things. Sometimes our God wakes people up through the conscience. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that God has, in Romans chapter 2, that God has written his law upon the human heart. And God at times sets to work, and sometimes through the simplest of things, perhaps the silliest of things, and and through something, God will, will strike the conscience of a man or a woman. And then that conscience will in turn strike the heart of that man or woman, sounding the alarm bells that all is not right, that there is great trouble coming. But most often at all, what does God do? God wakes people up through the preaching of his word. Just think about it. The Bible is a book written to wake people up. Its laws, its promises, its stories all work for that very end. So that those who pick up the book and read it, so those who sit down and and hear the word expounded might come to say, what must I do to be saved? And so I ask you this morning, are you aware of the danger? The most dangerous spot to be is outside of Jesus and in your sins. And are you aware of your danger? I ask you, has your conscience ever been pricked? Has God ever used that that instrument, the conscience, to strike at your heart, causing trouble and alarm? Have you ever trembled at the thought, like the jailer did, of being an enemy of the true and living God? Have you ever spoken like the jailer and have said, what must I do to be saved? And it might sound extreme to talk like this, but it isn't because the danger is indeed real. In fact, it is the only the most sensible thing to do. The man in his right mind in the story was who? It was a Philippian jailer. He understood that God was really living, active, and real. And in that moment, he saw it all. And so he said, what must I do to be saved? And if you were to be sensible today, you will say the same thing. So that's the first truth. You're in danger if you're outside of Jesus. Second truth, a glorious truth, is their salvation. You have to love it. The words that Paul preached... Paul and Silas preached 2,000 years ago are still applicable in this present moment. And I get to preach them. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And I want to apply this very closely to you. Hear this. This word is a direct word. There is only one remedy for the danger you are in because of God's judgment, because of your sin. And the one remedy is this, faith in Jesus. I only have one I only have one thing to say to you about this danger and where you might flee, and it is Christ himself. The church has only one message. We are like John the Baptist on the riverbank saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All we can say is, is Christ. 
And so the word is direct, and I'm direct with you. There's only one remedy, and it is Jesus himself. Working away at this more, this word is a forceful word. Hear this. Gospel preaching isn't advice preaching, and it should never sound like good advice. From start to finish, gospel preaching is done in the imperative. God commands you this day, this moment, to seek all help and relief from Jesus. It is the command of God. It's what God demands of you this day. And so what does it look like to obey the command of God? Well, it's so simple. Do you have sin today? Well, what must you do with? What must you do with your sin? Well, very simply, you must take your sin to Jesus and Jesus alone. Have you opposed God and God's ways in this world? Well, what must you do with your rebellion? It's so simple. Take it to Jesus and, and Jesus alone. Have you, have you failed in keeping God's laws? Well, what must you do about your transgressions and your failures? Well, what do you do? You take them to Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you have fear and anxiety and a troubled heart this morning? What do you do with your fear and your anxiety and your troubled heart? You take it to Jesus and you take it to Jesus alone. What do you do when you're caught in a web of sin and there doesn't seem to be any escape? You take yourself to Jesus and Jesus alone. What do you do when that danger lands upon you and you're aware of it, maybe for the very first time? What do you do? You to go to Jesus and you go to Jesus alone. Working more here. This gospel word is a word guaranteed. There are no maybes this morning or perhaps or ifs in the promises of the gospel. You hear that? There are no maybes or perhaps. If you go to Jesus, you will get Jesus. If you seek relief from Jesus, you will find relief from Jesus. If you seek salvation from Christ, you will get salvation from Christ. It works like that. If you truly go to Christ, you will get Christ and all the benefits of the gospel. And this guarantee stands today, and it stands today because of the work of Jesus he really did win a salvation, secure and final. It exists because of the heart of Jesus. Have you tasted of his heart? He yearns for sinners. And it exists because of the very words of Jesus. He has promised it to be so. And lastly, this word is powerful. If you obey this gospel word, God will change you. In a moment, he'll change your heart. You used to hate certain things and you'll, you'll love them. And you used to love certain things and you'll begin to, to hate them. And you'll be, you'll be changed. And what God will do is he's going to rewrite the whole code of your, your life. The word is, is powerful. You see it in the story of the Philippian jailer. His whole life is turned around in a moment when the command of the gospel hits him. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And the same is true yet even today. And so here's the question I ask, have you obeyed this gospel word? Have you gone to Christ? Have you trusted in him? Have you sought all help and relief from him and him alone? For hear this, the gospel word has met you with its summons today. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the gospel word is such a great word. It is good news, and we feel it this morning. 
We see it in the story of the Philippian jailer, a man brought to fear and trouble and anxiety. That was your precious work. And then the good news preached and received. And so we come this morning, Father, and we ask, we do not want to waste this word. So would you fill us with obedience now? We might, once again, all of us together, embrace the gospel message.